Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. We're in a series right now through Psalm 1. We're talking about the blessed life. A real story this week that I thought was just pretty comical, but very truthful when you get to the heart of it. That there was a poor jester who one day he, he took his jokes just a little bit too far, and one day he insulted the king. Well, the king, when he was insulted, he became enraged and infuriated with this jester, and he sentenced him to death. After a little bit of time, a lot of the court's people came and they pleaded with him, and he's served you well for so long. He's been so good to you. He's made you laugh so many times. Would you relent just a little bit? The king thought about it for a while. He said, you know what? I'll tell you what I will do. I, I will let the jester choose his death. He came to him and said, look, I'm going to give you a little bit of grace here. I was going to kill you one way. I'm going to let you decide how you die. Jester thought about it for a moment, and he said this. He says, if it's all the same with you, my Lord, I'd like to die of old age. It's good, is it not? Click on your toes. Here's the reality of the story, really the truth for us today. Um, there's not a choice of when you are going to die in life. Do you know that? There's not a choice of how you are going to die in life. The only choice that you have in your life, the only choice that God gives you, the only choice that God gives me, is how you and I are going to live our lives. And that's why this song and this series is so important. Jordan was here last week. I hadn't heard the message yet of what he preached on. But the week before that, we talked a lot about this idea that there's two paths in life. There's the path that leads you to a blessed life, and there's a path that leads you to destruction. That there's a path that leads you to righteousness. There's a path that leads you to wickedness. And we really looked at this ideal that it's the counsel that we keep that really determines that path. It's the friends we hang out with, the people we call our friends. They influence you and I on who we really become. I've realized that your friends in life, they're either going to influence you with godly advice and wisdom, or they're going to influence you with ungodly advice and wisdom. In order for you and I to live a life of righteousness, we have to pay attention to who is influencing our lives. I love what Robert Frost said. You've probably heard this quote several times. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. It is, is it not true that the path we take, the path we choose, makes all the difference in our lives? A lot of us today are standing here today because of decisions and choices and the path that we've chosen. And that's what we see all throughout this entire series. Psalms 1 is showing us that there are two different roads in life, and they are going to lead you to two very different directions and destinations. If you have your Bibles with me, Psalms chapter 1, Psalms 1, verse 1. I'm going to read you six verses. The Bible says this, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. Listen to this. We're going to talk about this next week. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked 
perish. Now here's what I want you to know about this Psalms 1. This is a Hebrew poem. That Hebrew poetry is nothing like English poetry. English poetry focuses a lot on rhyming. Hebrew poetry is known for what's called parallelisms. It's the same thought that build on or explain each other. And here's what we see in verse 1. Verse 1 tells us that we have a righteous man, who a person who does not, it's walk, stand, or sit. Three things, and then in the counsel or the way of the wicked, the sinners, or the scoffers. There's three parallel tracks for us that build on one another as we read this verse. But that's not really the interesting part. I think there's something that I want you to see today that is much more significant for us to see here today. And here's my hope of today. I just want you to lean in. I want you to see the progression in these verses because they show us, they reveal to you and I just how easy it is for you and I to fall away, to drift away in our relationship with the Lord. I mentioned this in the first week, a few weeks ago. Some of your translation used the word wicked in verse 1. I mean, if you have the King James Version, um, it uses the word ungodly. In the Greek word, wicked or ungodly is a word. The definition of it means without Worship. It's interesting if you want to write that down underneath the word wicked or ungodly, it's good for you to hang on to. It means without worship. Now, when we hear ungodly and we, when we hear the word wicked, it, most of the time it's exactly where our minds run to. We think of ungodly, we think of wicked people. It's people who are openly, very intentionally, morally wicked. They just think about, they dream about how they can do ungodly things and how they can be wicked. They violate God's laws and his statutes and they do it without a care in the world. Listen to me, that's a wicked person. But church family, I want you to hear me. Don't get this twisted. That same wicked person is also the same person who's a really good, upstanding individual. They look good. They look normal. Everyday people. They go to work. They pay their bills. They love their kids. They love their wives. More than likely, they might even be sitting here in church today. And the Bible calls that person wicked or ungodly. Why is that? Because they live their life independently from God. They don't take God into account of how they're going to live their lives. Their lives are centered on me, myself, and I, rather than being centered on God. And because that's the way their lives are driven by their own passions and agendas and dreams, the Bible calls them wicked people. Because they are without worship. Am I talking to anybody here? <laughs> are, are you kind of, would you say, hey, man, there have been times in my life that I fall into the category of a, of a wicked person. Man, I just make my own decisions without any regard to God. That, that's what he's saying. I, I love it so much because the Psalms 1 says this, blesses the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. What in the world does walk in the counsel of the wicked mean? I want you to know this. It has very little to do with the physical thing called walking. and has much more to do with your way of thinking. Listen to me. It's your mindset. It's your worldview. It, it, it means that you take in the counsel, the perspectives, the advice, the wisdom, the worldview of those other people that are without worship. Does that make sense? I, listen, if we don't get this, the rest of the sermon makes sense. Walking in the counsel of the wicked, it means that we take advice, perspectives, wisdoms, and worldview of those people who are without worship 
those whose lives are not centered on God. And when we start to take in that counsel, when we start to follow that advice, when we start to listen to all these things, it affects the way you live. Because if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Your belief will always determine your behavior. What you believe is always going to be manifested in your actions. But what you believe, what you hear, what you think about over and over and over will eventually come out in your actions. And I love this so much. That's why Psalms 1, that's why it starts with this. You're drifting away from God will always start with what you think. You're drifting away from God will always start with what you believe. You're drifting away from God will always start with what you listen to. This is the first step that will begin to lead you away towards a direction of ungodly living. Now I want to be a good Pastor here this morning, I want to give you some good pastoral, solid advice for you today. You need to be very careful because there are times that people will come and give you counsel and advice and wisdom. And most of the time, it might not seem all that bad. You wouldn't classify it as ungodly or wicked. But hear me today. There's a huge difference between good advice and godly advice. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? There's a huge difference between the two. A lot of people give you good advice, but you need to ask yourself, is it godly advice? But I, I realize that people can come and they can give me advice and wisdom, and it can almost seem sensible, even appealing, and almost good, solid advice. But the problem is, if you listen to the world's counsel and its advice and its perspectives and its wisdom, and you never apply discernment, then what happens is, as you start to accept it, because it seems right, because everybody else is doing it, because this makes sense, everybody else thinks this way, everybody else believes this way, and what happens is you start to, what you start to accept, what you start to think about, you will eventually start to walk in. It all starts with walking. Counsel of wicked. It's your listening, making advice, wisdom from all these things. So now that you've started walking, you've started listening to all these other people give you this advice, this worldly advice and worldly wisdom. The Bible tells us in Psalms 1, we move a little bit further, then we find ourselves standing in the way of sinners. Now we know what a sinner is. A sinner is someone who breaks the law of God. There's someone who refuses to follow what God has laid before him. So here is a person who's not just been walking in the council, but we can just hear it, just watching it from the outside. All of a sudden now he's standing in the way of sinners. He's participating. Can I carry you back to high school? Do, do you remember how this plays out? I think it still plays out into adulthood, but I think high school is where we remember this the most. You started hanging out with a particular group of friends. You're just watching. You're not participating. But the more you hang around it, the more you see it, the more you watch it, all of a sudden you start to see, well, everybody's doing this. All the high school kids are doing it. This can't be a bad thing. And all of a sudden you go from walking to staying. On Friday or Saturday night, you start to participate. What you believe will always determine what you do. So, so you find yourself, now you're standing in the way of sinners. You're participating. You're being involved. It starts with walking. Then you start standing. And because now this is your new normal, now it's just familiar with it. This is your everyday setting. You eventually find yourself sitting in the seat of scoffers. If you have the NIV translation, it uses the word mockers. Sitting in the seat of scoffers. Or mockers. It, it means to ridicule, to mock, to jeer, to scoff at, or to make fun of. Hey, listen, these people are hard-hearted sinners. Man, they are so callous to the things of God and the ways of God. They give a rip about anything of the ways of God. But can I tell you something? 
I've met some of these people, and I'm sure you've met them from time to time. And, and this might not be true. It might not be accurate. But I do think that there's there's a little bit of truth here. I don't think that this is how a lot of those people started out. I don't think it is. I, I just think one day they just started kind of hanging out with some people. And they started listening to everything that they were saying. And they moved from one thing to another. And they find themselves walking, standing, and sitting. You see the progression here about how it carries you down the wrong road? Hey, I'll agree with you. It's slow and almost unnoticeable. And yet, innocently enough, it all starts with walking and the counsel of the ungodly. After a while, you find yourself standing in the way of sinners, and now you have become one of them, completely conformed to the world's attitudes and its behaviors. Because what you believe will influence how you behave. And how you behave will determine where you end up. With me this morning? There was an old story I read this week where a bird met a fisherman with a can of worms. And the bird comes and he asks this fisherman for a worm. The fisherman says, sure, I'll give you a worm. But the only thing I ask is for one of your feathers. A feather for a worm seemed like a reasonable trade at the time. So the bird made the trade. Well, the next day, the bird found himself hungry again. He weighed the pros and the cons of kind of searching out for food, trying to find one with the convenience, the easiness of kind of coming back to the fisherman and saying the exact same thing he did the day before. Hey, can I get a worm? Give me a worm. I'll give you one of my feathers. Well, after a few days of making this trade over and over and over again, the bird exchanged so many feathers that he couldn't fly. And at this point in the story, the fisherman picked up the fat bird naked, cooked him and ate him. It ended dramatically, I promise you, it did. But it's these little compromises here and there. Little compromises. Many times we hardly even recognize and realize that they're even taking place. But we don't think that they're going to affect us spiritually, but slowly, give enough time, one rationalization leads to another. Until before you know it, we've ended up in a place and we would never have dreamed we were going to continue. Can I show you this in a few passages of Scripture? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. I want you to kind of see these. I think these are good because each story is going to relate to us just a little bit different. 1 Kings chapter 3 is just the story of Solomon. Many of us know who he is. He's the second king of Israel. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. Now, 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 I just want to clear up just a small little bit of gray area. The law of God did not forbid the Israelites from marrying the Egyptian women. They were forbidden to marry the Canaanite women. There were a lot of reasons for it. So by the kind of the letter of the law here, if you kind of see this play out, Solomon was not forbidden to marry Pharaoh's daughter. He shouldn't have, but he wasn't forbidden to do it. But here's what I want you to see as we walk through these next couple of chapters. It starts with a pattern of thinking, right? It gets, again, what we were talking about, standing in the way of sinners. And after the pattern of thinking, then it leads to a pattern of behavior. And then ultimately, ultimately it leads to the spiritual downfall and destruction. So in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, he makes this marriage alliance with this Egyptian woman, the daughter of Pharaoh. Now skip down to 1 Kings chapter 11. Verse 1, turn over a couple pages in your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible says this, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, and Moabite, Amorite, Edomite, Sinai, the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel. Listen to this. 
You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. And here's why. For they will surely turn away your heart after their gods. This is what the Bible says about Solomon. Solomon clung to these in love. It started off at the very beginning with a woman who was not walking in the pathway of righteousness. Now, eight chapters later, 1 Kings 11, 3, the Bible says this, he had 700 wives who were princes, princesses and 300 concubines. Men, that sounds terrible, does it not? <laughs> this is what the Bible says. And his wives turned away when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not holy truth of the Lord his God, as was the heart of David's father. Exactly what God had said was going to happen. You don't do it, it's not worth it. But it all started, it all started falling apart when he started walking in the counsel of the wicked. He started entertaining these advice, this wisdom, and what looked good to his eyes and what he wanted. And then all of a sudden, you see this downfall in heaven. Turn with me to Psalms 106. If you have a Bible, this is an incredible passage of Scripture that I want you to see. Psalms 106. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not going to give you a lot of explanation here. I'm not going to come and explain it. I think I'm just going to read this passage of Scripture to you. And I just want you to watch the progression here. Again, you have to see this. It's walking, standing, and sitting. It's at the very beginning, very surface level, kind of getting close to it. Then it's participating. And then the last part of it is just all-out destruction. Let me just preface this by saying this is the children of Israel, God's people. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalms 106, verse 35. But they mixed with nations and learned to do as they did. They served their wives, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out Innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. You see it? First, they just mixed with the nations, right? They, they got assimilated into their culture. They started to learn and kind of do as they did. They started serving their idols. And by the time you get to the end, the Israelites, the people of God, they're sacrificing their sons and their daughters to idols. And where did it all start? Walking the council. Just getting get close to it. Last one, I promise. If you have a Bible story, it'll be in Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. This is a story about Lot and Abraham. We're going to read a handful of verses this morning. We're going to start at verse 8. It's going to be up on the screen for you to follow along. That Abraham said to Lot, uh, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you separate from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go on the right. If you take the right, then I'll go on the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zorah. Parentheses, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So here's what happens in this passage. Lot and Abraham, they, they stood on this mountain overlooking the land. 
Abram says, hey, you choose which side you want. If you want east, I'll go west. I'll go east. And the reason was the land wasn't sufficient to support both of them. So Abram takes the high road. He comes and lets his nephew decide, hey, which place do you want to go? You pick one and I'm going to take the other. Lot lifted up his eyes, the Bible says. He noticed how green, how pleasing it was to the eyes, and he chose that. He saw something attractive, and he moved himself in that direction. But not just himself. And if you're a parent here today, and if I can get you to lean in just a little bit more, I want you to hear me. He didn't just move himself closer to Sodom, but he moved his entire family. I want you to notice the progression. First, he sees the land. He's attracted to it. It draws him to it. Um, and, and then he moves toward it. He settles among the cities in the valley. and moves his tent right up to the outskirts of Sodom. Now, you might be thinking here today, Billy, why is this such a big deal? It's a short walk for him to go to the local Piggly Wiggly to get food. This isn't that big of a deal. Well, this is what the Bible says in verse 13. We read it, but I want you to read it again. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Here he is walking in the counsel of the ungodly, of the wicked. He's watching all of Sodom. See the progression here. First, again, he saw it. Uh, oh, now turn with me to Genesis chapter 14, verse 12. Genesis chapter 14, verse 12. There's a group of kings that come and they make war against Sodom and Gomorrah. And verse 12 says this. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. Now he's dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. First he saw it, then he was attracted to it, then he chose it. Then he journeyed in that direction. Then he moved his tent as far as Sodom. And now we see that he's actually living in Sodom. No more is he tent dwelling. He got himself a condo at one of the best places in town. He's become officially a part of the town. He's living in Sodom. What goes further than that? In chapter 18, God sends an angel to come and tell Abram about his plan to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah because they're such a wicked city. If you look at Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, the Bible says this. Uh, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Listen to this. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. What in the world does that even mean? Well, the gate, the city gate was where all the politics would take place. It's where the city council would come and meet. And apparently Lot had become so much of a part of the establishment of the culture. He's essentially part of the leadership of Sodom. There's a great possibility that Lot was probably one of the most successful businessmen inside of this place called Sodom. Again, do, do, do we see the progression here? Moves close, gets in, and now he gets participant. And as I read that, as I was reading that this week, I think that this is the story where we really find ourselves today because I've always been a little bit confused as I've seen him kind of get close to this town. I mean, he loses his wife, and I've always been confused by what 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says. Because the Bible calls a lot a righteous man. But I want you to hear what it says and how it describes him. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed. You see that? Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as the, that righteous man lived among them day after day. Listen to these words. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. Again, I hope this is where we find ourselves today. Here's a man who had this battle going on within him between what was good and what was evil, what's right and what's wrong. And I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves today. That there's a pull in your life, is it not? I, I, I 
mean, if you're here on a Sunday morning, I think that for many of us, we want to do what's right. But we want to choose the path of righteousness. We always want to do the good things, but there's this other side of us that kind of wants to pull us to the worldly things. Is it not? Like we see the world, we see the things that we kind of flirt within, we want to gravitate to, but inside of our hearts, there's this constant struggle that says, no, I don't want you to go that way. And sometimes we go that way, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we make the right decisions, other times we don't. But there's this, this fight between this tension between them, like, I want to do what's right, but man, it just looks so good. If you're a parent here today, uh, again, I said this at the very beginning, I want to talk with you just for a moment. I've realized that being a dad, that there are times that we make decisions with no regard or thought about our kids. You ever realize that? And we just make decisions based on what, what I want or my spouse wants with no regard, no thought of what it's going to do to our kids. We make choices that, that we don't even realize the effect that we have on our kids. And when we do this, there are different things that we can do. We can talk all day long about them. But, but it, uh, you got to be careful. I'll never forget, we were in the church of Barley Street. And there was a guy that came up to me one Sunday after church. And, uh, and he came up and he was Man, just like you could, I seen him coming, red faced. I'm like, this fixed me a fun conversation. Yes. And, uh, and he came up and he said, You know what I call the sun dude? I'm like, No, share it with me, please. And uh, <laughs> he said, I call him drinking. And I'm like, Oh man, I hate that. And he said, I thought you were going to fix all this. <laughs> and I'm like, That's good. That's good. <laughs> he said, Man, that's why I sent him up here to youth group. I don't want him drinking. I don't want him doing all the things that I'm doing. I told him this look. I said, I get your kids one hour on Wednesday. You got your kids all And I said, they're going to do what you do. And you hear me? Your kids are going to follow in your footsteps. So hear me. If churches are a priority, don't be surprised when they grow up and church is not a priority to them. Reading the word of God is not a priority to you. Hey, listen, you can't be mad at them that they don't read. Hey, if you go drinking all the time and you've got a problem with alcohol, don't be surprised if they follow in your footsteps. I want you to hear the rest of the story because this is where it gets at. And listen, if you've got kids, no earmuffs on them because we're fixing to say some things that aren't very true. The story goes on, if you kind of read the rest of this, if you kind of continue to walk down the path of the ungodly, you're going to influence others to go with you on that path as well. Because the Bible tells us that Lot's daughters, they married men who mocked Lot's beliefs. They rejected his pleas for them to escape the coming judgment that was fixed to happen. A little bit of time passes after fleeing Sodom. Listen to this. His daughters put together a plan. They get their father drunk and they took turns sleeping with him so they wouldn't be Childs. Jacked up is a model. I just want you to notice this. When you walk down the pathway of the ungodly, you will never walk alone. And you are always going to take somebody else with you. Church family, are you starting to see the high price for walking in the counsel of the ungodly and standing in the way of sinners? Sit in the seat of the scoffer. 
Billy, this is an absolute terrible message. I agree with you wholeheartedly. If we were to move to the invitation now, it'd probably be a pretty song. Can I tell you why I love the Word of God? Because the Word of God always gives us direction and instruction and clarity. So if you find yourself walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of sinners, I want you to listen to what verse 2 says. Psalms 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, of the God that stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seats of the sorrowful. Listen to what verse 2 says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Listen, we're going to talk a lot about this next week, and I encourage you to come. But I want you to hear that there are some things that we don't need to do in our life. That there are some things that are just being known to us. But there are some, also some other things that, that I think that we need to do. Verse 2, I think, is the focal point for this whole psalm. This is the thing that sets a righteous person apart, that he delights, he meditates in God's Word. I heard a story this week about a little boy who picked up the family Bible at the home. He went to his mom and pulled this big old family Bible and says, hey, is this a book about God and Jesus? Well, she had a big old smile on her face. Oh, yes, baby boy, it is. It's the book about God. It's the book about Jesus. The little boy, just like this, said, hey, do you think we need to send it back because we never read it? <laughs> I think it's very, this verse, this passage is very confronting because it reveals to us our true nature and our heart to delight in something um, to, to enjoy something means that we have a high degree and it's a pleasure in our life. So let me ask you today, do you delight in God's word? I, 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 not delight, but delight in God's word. I mean, if you delight in something, man, you're going to do whatever you can to make time for it, to spend time for it. Man, you're going to move everything around so you can be a part of it. Man, listen, I delight dear God. And I make a lot of sacrifices for dear one. I like my kids most of the time. They're not here, praise the Lord. <laughs> the things that we delight in, and they take a higher value. We, we, we do things differently. Make time for it. You, you hunger for it. I'm pretty confident in our church setting here today that, uh, that there, probably almost every one of us here today, if I was to ask you, do, do you believe um, that the Bible is God's holy word, every one of us would say yes, would we not? Oh, Billy, I believe that. If I was to ask you, um, hey, do you believe that God's word is divinely inspired? We'd all say yes. Do we believe it's an inerrant message to all of us? Again, I think we would agree all that, but it's crazy to me because we never take the time to spend time and read the word of God. A life of research study found that only 45% of those people who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible maybe once or twice a month. And almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Word. Take five people look around. One of them never reads the Bible. The Bible tells us in Psalms 1 that the blessed is the man or happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and he thinks about it, he reads it, he meditates on it day and night. I want to give you one last quote, quote and we're going to start to close. David is telling us that the way to happiness, the way to a blessed life is for you and I to 
to be separated from the world and to be saturated in the Word. The blessed life is to be separated from the world and to be saturated from the Word. And here's the, the, the problem the struggle for all of us today because when we read Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, uh, we, we want to think that, hey, the blessed life comes by going to church, does it not? And I know that we know that that's not true, but that's how we live our lives. If I come through these doors on a Sunday morning, then this whole week's going to be a blessed life. And God's going to move. We think that it has a lot more with some other things. We want to put all these different things in here, and that's how we have the blessed life. But God is telling us, church family, hey, if you want a blessed life, it comes from you meditating on the Word of God. It comes from you chewing on it and reading it and studying all throughout the week. And there's nothing else that you can do that can be interchangeable in that. Listen, we started podcasting in our messages. Listen, I hate podcasts. Can I tell you why? Because a lot of times we, we, we want to listen to a message and we think that, hey, that's going to carry me through. That's not going to carry me through. It's the Word of God that's going to carry me through. And I think we struggle with this, do we not? Man, we want everything else, but we don't want to put the time, the effort to read the Bible. I told you at the very beginning, I'll be an apology. Because this is something that I struggle with. Many of you, like Billy, you used to be like wound up preaching, screaming, and hollering. It's kind of calm because I'm guilty of this. I'm not, I haven't made the word of God a priority to, to read and study and get direction. Hey, listen to me. I want a blessed life. I thought blessed life comes from me being a pastor, from me coming up here and preaching on Sunday morning, but it's not. It comes from me saying, I want to spend time with you. I'll ask Margaret to come and start playing, and I struggled a lot about her invitation. What, what, what are we calling people to? And I think it's this. If you're a believer here today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to read the Word of God. Amen. You hear me? You need to be precedent in this. You need to be leading in this. You need to be the one that drives this. Hey, it's awkward. It's awkward. I, I'll tell you that. I'm a pastor in a But I mean, we are called to lead our families. We are called to rise up and be the head of the house. Billy, what are we doing? Can, can, can I tell, I'll throw out a bunch of suggestions. Get a new version app. Pick a devotional to go through. Hey, look, girl, we're sitting down and reading this tonight. Just start somewhere. Pick Psalms, pick Proverbs. But man, I challenge us, men, hey, make the word of God. And I know that if you're not already doing it, it's awkward to start something new, but if you want a blessed life, it comes to reading the Word of God. Ladies, I want to challenge you here today. Hey, this needs to be one of the most important things in your life. You need to make sure that you are carving out time to spend time in the Word of God, because this is where He speaks. This is where He gives clarity. This is where He gives wisdom. This is the direction to the blessed life. It's not in a job. It's not in a home. It's not in a car. It's not in anywhere. It's from the Word of God. Man, I wish that, this is bad preaching. I wish it would be anything else. I wish blessed life comes through church attendance. We'd be winning, but it doesn't. It comes through the Word of God. You and I, we've got to make time. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ here, I'm sure this message is probably one of the most weird backward messages that you've probably ever heard. But I want to tell everybody this because I think that you need to hear it. 
the moment that you were born, the moment you breathed your first breath here in this life, you and I were born into this pathway of walking in the counsel of the wicked. That's when we jumped out. That was our starting point. We were born on the path of destruction. It was just our natural condition. But Psalms 1 is describing the character and the blessedness the future of a heart that has been transformed from grace alone through faith. The only way that you can come onto the righteous path is through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. My two boys, they're on a path of destruction. Unless they come and they encounter everything we sing about today. Christ gave his life up for you and for me. If we place our faith and trust in Christ, he comes into us, saves us, and all of a sudden we are moved off this path of destruction. We are turned to the path of righteousness. All throughout your life, we jump off the path from time to time. We start walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I want you to hear me. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what God's doing in your life. And would you be obedient to him? Would you say, hey, God, whatever you're stirring, all I want to say is to you. I get you to stand as we 